and continue on in our series of who we are here at Living Hope Family Church. And uh, last week we talked, we asked the question, you know, what are we here for? What, what do we come to church for? Are we just here to, to warm a seat? Are we just here to fill a chair? Are we here to be entertained? Are we here to, to, just, to just be a consumer when we come to church? And today we're going to take even a little bit deeper look at what that is, because last week we talked about what? That we are a people who serve here at Living Hope Family Church. God did not save you just so you could warm a chair, just so you can hear nice messages, just so you can uh, uh, feel good about yourself and mark off that check mark. I went to church every Sunday this year, so God's got to be happy with me. Because one, God's not happy with your performance. God is happy with the work his son did inside of you. Amen. But also, we're saved for a purpose. We're saved. The scripture says that we are made for good works. And it's not the good works that saves us. But when we get saved, it should be a natural result coming out of us is to serve God, to do good works for him. And we talked about the different ways that we could do that, serving in the church, serving in the community last week. But today I want to take a deeper look at what that means from a bigger picture, from a bigger standpoint. We want to kind of talk about what our vision is here at Living Hope Family Church. And as you guys are aware, our model is to evangelize, equip, and empower. So we want to evangelize the lost. There's a whole city of people here that are walking around with no hope. And they don't have the same hope that we have inside of us. And they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and our, our first goal as a church is we want to evangelize the lost. We want to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell them about his great love. And then the next thing we want to do as we get them saved and they come in, we want to equip them. Because how many know when you first get saved, you don't know a whole lot? You, you, you say yes, you get in, and, and, and it's good that you said yes, but if we stay there, then we're like babies in the church, and we don't, we don't, we're not able to accomplish anything, we're not able to do anything, and it's just like, you know, when you have a baby, you don't want them to stay a baby forever. I mean, they're cute for a while, but after you've changed 337,000 diapers, you want them to be able to use the bathroom, amen? Take care of that themselves. You want your kids to grow up, and that's the goal. So the first thing we do is we evangelize, then we win the lost, and then we begin to train them, we begin to teach them, we begin to equip them to be able to step out into their ministry, to be able to learn what God wants them to do, to begin to learn who they are. That's the most important thing that they can learn is who they are, that they are loved, that they are forgiven, that they are free, that they are righteous, that they are victorious, that they are holy because of the work Jesus Christ did. And then we want to be able to, to help them share that with others. And the next thing that we want to do as part of our mission statement is to evangelize, equip, and then empower. We want to empower people to step out into their ministry, into their calling. Because there is a, a world of people that are hurt, and we have a treasure inside of earthen vessels that we can share with them. But it takes training, it takes support, it takes encouragement to step out and begin to reach people. As, our, as, a, as, as a church, our goal is to reach people. Everything that we do is to be able to share Jesus with people in some way. And that means from the way we do church, the way we do music, we want to make it where people are welcomed in here, that they're loved. We don't want any barriers to be in the way. We don't want anybody to come in and go, Man, those people are weird or crazy or their bathroom's dirty or whatever it is. We, anything that would stand in the way of, of somebody coming to know Jesus, we want to eliminate. 
And everything that we do is to that goal. We want to reach people. Now today, um, we're not going to deal with the evangelization evangelization part. We're going to deal with that next week. Um, But this week, I want to talk about the, the reproduction part, the equipping people as we get them ready to step out into their ministry. Amen? So let's go ahead and take a look at uh, Genesis 1, 11 through 13. It says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, and there was morning the third day. And if you read a little bit further in Genesis, and we're going to read verses uh, Genesis one twenty four through 25, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said that it was good. Do you know that reproduction has always been the plan of God? Today we're going to look at uh, who we are as a church. We're, we're a church that reproduces. We are a people that reproduces. And this has always been the plan of God as for, as for uh, everything in this earth to reproduce according to its kind. And we see that as we begin to look from, from day one in the garden. It says that the plants are going to produce seed, which reproduce their own kind, and the animals are going to reproduce their own kind. And how many of you guys have ever seen a pig give birth to a donkey? It just doesn't happen. How many of you guys have seen uh, uh, a seed from a, from a banana produce an avocado tree? It just the, the thing about reproduction is that when, when stuff reproduces, it's after its own kind. It's just like what it is. And this idea of reproduction has been God's plan from the beginning, and we produce exactly what we are. So where I'm going with this is if you think about it, if, if you are a Christian, the, the most basic of it is you're, you should be reproducing other Christians. You should be sharing your faith. You should be then begin to teach them. From day one, you should be able, I mean, if you're a Christian less than a week, you should be telling people about Jesus, and you should begin to teach them what you know. Well, I don't know that much, Pastor Wayne. Tell them what you know. You know that Jesus died for you, and he made a way for you, and he made you brand new. Begin to share that with them. Begin to share what God is doing in your life. And it's not just the, the seeds, it's not just the plants, it's not just the animals. In Genesis one twenty eight, it says, And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. They were supposed to reproduce as well. That wasn't something unique to after the fall. Either. This happened before the fall. This was that From the beginning, God's plan was for us to reproduce. And the reality is, is that we actually see this every single day in the lives of people. They're reproducing even if they don't want to. Your children will watch what you are doing and they will begin to imitate you. Your friends will watch what you are doing and they will begin to imitate you. The reality is is that without even trying, we reproduce all the time. 
And sometimes it's a terrible thing. It's, it's an awful thing. You see people that, that deal with the same um, cycle of broken families, generation after generation, because nobody ever taught them how to be faithful. Nobody ever taught them how to be a good parent. Nobody ever taught them any of those things. So they, they learn from their parents, and it's a, it's a destructive cycle over and over and over again. But the truth is, is that we have the, the ability to change that as well. If we begin to, to demonstrate and model what real love looks like, what real parenting looks like. And we have to make a decision that that's what we're going to do. Parents, you should let your kids see you guys love each other, being kind to one another being affectionate with one another. You should let your kids see that so that they can grow up and know how to operate inside of a family. But the truth is, is if you don't let them see that, they'll repeat that as well. We reproduce whether we want to or not. You guys have ever heard the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? That's where that comes from. You know, like, 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 uh, like mother like daughter, like father like son. That's where that comes from. My son imitates me quite often, and he hates to admit it to you. It's, it's hilarious, because I'll tell him, like, you're doing that? No, I'm not. But he, he does, and it's funny, especially when he was younger, anytime I would get excited about something, I wanted to learn something, you know, he, he would get excited about it, and he would want to do it too. I remember uh, a few years ago, I decided I want to teach myself how to draw, and uh, so I did. Got on YouTube, tell you what, you can learn anything you want to on YouTube. Just get on there, spend some time. There's a bunch of dumb stuff you got to pass, but you can learn some good stuff. I learned, my, I learned, learned, learned myself. I learned it myself. <laughs> Don't go to school on YouTube. Otherwise, you, you, you won't get any gooder at stuff at your speaking. But uh, I, I, I turned, <laughs> crying out loud. Praise God. Somebody pray for me. Hallelujah. So I learned how to play guitar off of YouTube. I learned how to play piano off of YouTube. I learned how to draw off of I mean, you can learn all of that stuff. That's people reproducing, by the way. We see it everywhere we look. And anyway, I remember I was, I was learning to, to draw, and I got all the stuff. And next thing you know, that's all Blake wanted to do. He wanted to get paper. He wanted to get, and he began to draw. And, 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 but that's just how life works. Our kids imitate us. And they look like us, too. Everyone always says, this poor kid looks just like me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, son. All I wanted to give you was my last name. I apologize. But uh, uh, hopefully he grows up better looking than me. But, uh, but uh, it's okay. I've got a beautiful wife. You don't have to feel bad for me. Hallelujah. But as Christians, we should be reproducing as well. We should be sharing our faith. People should be coming to know Christ through us. Amen. Larry Neville, who is uh, one of the leaders of Praise Chapel, uh, it was a story that touched my heart so much because it's what I wanted so much for my family, for my, for my life. But he was uh, at a conference many, many years ago. It was one of our world conferences. And his son came up to minister. And his son was sharing um, about what he does. And his son is now a pastor. And he said, you know, the truth is, is that the reason I'm a pastor is because my dad was a pastor. If my dad was a mechanic, I would probably be a mechanic. If my dad was an electrician, I would probably be an electrician. But my dad's a pastor, and I wanted to be like my dad, so I'm going to be a pastor. And lo and behold, he, he repeated what his dad was doing. His dad reproduced in him 
And that's what I wanted so bad for myself as well, because the reality is, is that how many of you guys have ever heard all the, you know, the PKs are the worst, the pastor's kids, they're always, uh, they're always awful, they're always the worst. And, and something I noticed about Praise Chapel is that for the most part, that wasn't the case. It seemed like the kids were being raised up and following in their father's footsteps, and that's what I wanted, which is why I was so blessed when we were at a conference a few years ago, uh, they, they took all the, how old were you when that happened? Was it three or four years ago? Nine? So anyway, there's, there's a youth conference going on the same time as the, the, the... Can I share this story? Good. I was going to anyway. So, <laughs> but there's a, uh, there's a conference going on, and, and this, this, one of the guys has all the kids in this room, and he's ministering to them. And uh, my wife walks in there, and she looks in, and, and the kids are praying for one another. And they begin to pray for them. They'd fall out in the spirit. And then as soon as they were done, they would get up, and the guy would grab the kids, and they would go around and begin to pray for all the other kids. And my son comes out when my wife gets there, and, and he's, he's crying. Not because he's scared or because he's hurt, but because he was touched by God, and God told him that he was going to be a pastor. And I was like, yes! So, you know, because whether he likes to or admit it or not, we reproduce in our children. They follow what we're doing. Amen? I'm going to have to get moving or we're never getting out of here. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is a scriptural principle for the church as well. Is that we, this, is what, this is what Paul is teaching Timothy. You know, Timothy is, is Paul's student. Paul was a pastor, and Timothy was his, his child in the Lord. And he begins to train Timothy, and he says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Did you know that you were a steward for what God has given you? What you have received is not just for yourself, but is for other people that are in your life. You have the ability to bless people that are in your life, and you can make a difference by sharing the love of Christ with them. And it says here that, that we're supposed to entrust this with faithful men so that they can teach others also. You begin to see the reproduction. You begin to see the cycle. But you'll notice that he says, do it to faithful men and trust it to faithful men because it is our responsibility to guard what God has given us, lest it become corrupt, lest it become changed, lest it become twisted and people use it for gain or for whatever reason. But people that we trust, we teach them, right? When we get people in and we equip them, we train them so that they can do the same thing. And it's our responsibility to teach others to do the same. Reproduction and multiplication inside the church isn't just a good idea. It's a commandment from God. Amen? But in order to teach people, you have to do something first. You have to know it yourself. You have to learn it. The truth is, is that actually if you want to know something well, the best way to learn something is to begin to teach it. I remember when I used to work in restaurants. I, I worked in restaurants for uh, a lot of my younger years in and, and, and high school. And then all the way up through oh, probably my mid-20s, I was working in a restaurant. And I was always a trainer. I was always teaching other people. And it was interesting because I always thought I knew my stuff pretty good until I began to teach people. And then that's when I really began to learn what I was talking about. Because to be able to teach people, you have to know it in a much higher level than you would just to, to, to learn it from somebody. So in order to teach people, you have to learn it yourself. 
And that's why it's important for us that have been uh, that are more mature in Christ, that have been here for for a little bit around a little bit longer, to begin to invest in the folks that are new. Begin to teach them. You don't have to be a pastor to begin to pour into somebody's life. You don't have to be on the worship team. You don't have to be one of the elders or a leader to invest in somebody's life. You just have to come alongside them and begin to share with them and to teach them and help them grow. And when you do that, you're being obedient to God because it's, it's a cycle. They'll begin to teach others, and they'll begin to teach others, and you'll realize that your sphere of influence has greatly enlarged, and you're making a greater impact than you ever could have imagined. Amen? Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Do you guys know how how that works when you're talking about sharpening a knife. You know, it's, it's probably the only people that really deal with sharpening knives these days anymore are cooks. You know, back then, I think everybody knew how to sharpen something. But do you guys know how that works? Have you guys ever seen a knife sharpened? What do they do? They take the knife and they run it across something that's harder than it. They run it across something that's a little bit rough. If you guys have ever seen a whetstone, it's like a, it's like a solid block of sandpaper. And you run the knife across it. And what's happening is, is there's two things that happens when you're sharpening a knife. And there's one where you just got a messed up edge. Stuff's not quite right. It's not, it's not where it needs to be. And you begin to run it over a whetstone, and you begin to have the, the edge take shape. And what happens is it begins to grind the bits that aren't supposed to be there. The bits that aren't part of a sharpened blade get rubbed off. They get taken away. And that's the first thing. When we, when we work with one another, when we encourage one another, we can help to begin to shape somebody into what God wants them to be. We can help them get through those areas of their life that are still sticking, that are still not, not letting them be the tool, the, the blade that God wants them to be. But there's another thing that you can do when you're sharpening a knife, and that's if you guys have ever seen a steel. Usually you'll see them in the kitchen. They're a, a, a round piece of uh, metal with weird hatch crossings on them. And what happens when you're using a steel is that when you have a really sharp blade, when you use it over and over, it actually doesn't, like I think in our mind, we think when we use the, the knife, it, the blade gets flat, but it doesn't. What happens is, is on the end of the blade, there's a microscopic layer, which is what makes it sharp. And when you use it over and over, that folds over. And that's why your knife gets dull, because the actual sharp part folded over. So when you use a steel, what you're doing is you're straightening that back out. And that's the other way that we can come together when we, are, when we are where God wants us to be as we're growing and we're learning. But sometimes it takes us to get together to, to, to keep us honed, to keep us sharp. The truth is, is that Christians need one another. We need to be spending time with each other. We need to be learning from one another. Because what happens is if you don't, your blade begins to fold over. And eventually it gets so bad that you can't even use a steel anymore. You have to use a whetstone. But we, we work with one another. We, 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 we bounce off one another. We sharpen one another. We encourage one another. Amen? This is what reproduction looks like as we begin to reproduce into each other's lives. In Acts 18, 24-26 we begin to see that also that there's nobody that's made it to the top. You can't ever think that, you know what, I'm where I need to be. I don't need to be taught anymore. I only need to teach others. Because the truth is, is we all have room to grow. My pastor, 
He's got a doctorate in theology. He's the most um, intelligent and well-thought-out man on the, on the Word of God that I've ever met in my entire life. And he will be the first to tell you that every day he learns more and more as he reads through his word. God reveals to him more. And he's learning every single day. And I know that's true for me as well. I'm learning all the time. But in Acts 18, 24 through 26, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now here we see a guy who's already doing good work. This is Apollos. Matter of fact, you're going to find out as, as we've been going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, is, is that was the one that they, they compared him to. That was the one that there was this like quasi-Christian competition about you know whose leader was better. Is Apollos better? Is Paul better? So Apollos is already doing good work. He's ministering the gospel. Matter of fact, the scripture says here that he was fervent in spirit and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he was getting it done. But then Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they pulled him aside, and it says that they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. We all have room to grow, church. We all have room to continue to be taught, to be continue to be sharpen one another, to spend time with one another so that we can continue to grow. We can continue to be equipped. And I want you to know that when you do that, you become more effective at what God wants you to do for him. Amen? In Titus 1.5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put whatever remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So now we've just been talking about personal growth and personal reproduction in our lives and speaking to others. But how many know it doesn't just stop at individuals? As Christians, we don't just reproduce Christians, but we should be reproducing churches as well. That is one of our primary goals in, in Living Hope Family Church that I'm excited about is because is we have a vision to plant other churches. There are people in this room right now who are being raised up. They're being trained. They're being lifted up so that they can be able to go out and plant a church somewhere and make an impact in the city where they're going to be going to. And I know this because we've already had multiple families stand up and say, I have a calling of God in my life, and we're training them right now because one day we'll send them out. And we know this is true the Springs Church as well. You guys are getting ready to plant a church right now. Praise God for that. That's exciting stuff to see reproduction because that is the purpose of God in our lives as Christians is to reproduce. And he tells, he tells Titus, which is another one of, of Paul's uh, sons in the Lord. He's, this is another one of Paul's young pastors. And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put remain in the order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He said, I left you there to plant churches. I left you there to reproduce what I've done inside of you and other people. And church, that is what we want to do here at Living Hope Family Church. We want to reproduce churches. We want to send people out. Because the truth is, the whole purpose of we're here is to share the gospel with the lost. We're not going to be able to do that in one church right here in Marana. We're going to need other churches out there. We're going to need other people going out. Because there are so many people out there that don't know the Lord. And some people go, wow, what if, what if everyone becomes pastors and everybody plants churches? Won't there not be enough people for all the churches? 
You know what? If we could somehow reach that point, I think the gospel would have been preached. We're going to go home with Jesus. He'll be coming back at that point. But the truth is right now, particularly in Arizona, if you go back east, I was reading a study, and I don't know how long ago it was done, but there's something like, and this is population, there's something like uh, 68 people to every church back east on the east coast. That's not like 68 people in every church. That's like population ratio. That means some churches have a lot more some have quite a bit less. But in Arizona, the, the, the ratio is something like 1,400 people per church. If we didn't plan another church, we could all have mega churches if we all got them saved. But I don't think that's the plan of God. Because God wants us to be in relationship. He wants us to be in fellowship. And the truth is, the bigger a church gets, the harder that is to maintain. And at that point, it's, it's usually wiser to multiply to begin to send others out to do the same thing. Amen? And the reality is, is that as we begin to plant churches, our sphere of influence, our, it begins to increase, and we're going to see more and more people saved. Amen? One thing I like about Praise Chapel is their, their ideology is to plant churches, and they say that planting a church is a lot like having a child. How many know that having a child doesn't come with a manual? There's not a book. Actually, at this point in time, there's probably a book that, that counters productive to every other book saying you should raise your kid like this. No, you should raise your kid like this. But the truth is there is no real manual. No one's really figured it out, especially if it's your first one. You know, that it's, it's amazing watching a brand new mother because they, they're so careful about everything and they can't. Boy, if you're the third child, nobody cares anymore. Like, Let them eat dirt. It's okay. They're going to be all right. Send them outside. Yeah, John teaches his kids to eat dirt. <laughs> I remember when Blake was so <laughs> when Blake was growing up, he was uh, I don't know, he was probably two or three. And I don't know if you guys know Michelle, uh, but she's a little bit of a, a, a germaphobe. It actually drives me crazy. I'm like, you are going to sanitize us into extinction. Like, you got to let the bugs get out there. You got to let you got to let the immunities build up. And I remember uh, my, my sister's husband, his name is Paul, and we're out at a softball game, and me and Paul got Blake, and she's out doing something, and she comes around, and we got Blake, Blake laying sitting on the ground just playing in the dirt at a softball field. And we're like, he's a boy, let him do what he wants. And she comes around, and she was freaking out so bad. What are you doing letting him be in the dirt? I'm like, he's fine. But the reality is, is there's no manual for a kid there's no there's nobody that tells you the right way to do it everybody's got a different idea and it's the same as true for churches you know what you don't have to to wait until you're till you're ready you know there's there's no like like checklist ring okay you've been a christian for 15 years and you know you've tithed this much and you've only missed this many sundays so you're ready truth is, is you're never ready i remember when i was getting sent out to plant this church and I, you know, that was my, I'm not ready yet, I'm not ready yet. And Pastor Mike's like, you're ready, you're fine. And the truth is, is there's no time to be ready. You're always going to feel inadequate. And I think that's probably a good thing. Because then you begin to put your trust in the Lord to do what he wants to do through you instead of trying to do it yourself, amen? And First Timothy 3, 14 through 15, we began to see the importance of the church as well. In verse 14, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. 
You see, Timothy would have understood these references to pillars. We don't see pillars much here. Every now and then if you go downtown and you look at the court building, some of the court buildings have nice pillars that hold up parts of it. But, you know, the, where, where, where Timothy is, he's sitting out there. The, the great temple of Diana was in Ephesus, and it had 127 pillars that held up at this temple. He knew what the pillars were for. He knew what they did. They, were, they supported the entire building. Matter of fact, remember when uh, uh, Samsung finally brought down the, the building on top of all the Philistines? How did he do that? He pushed down those pillars that were the primary support pillars of that building. And that's how he was victorious even in his death. But pillars support buildings. It's what they do. If they don't, if they're not there, the buildings come down. And the scripture says that the church is a pillar and buttress of church. The church is important. We have a purpose here. The, the, us getting together and, and, and planting more churches is important to the kingdom of God because it makes an impact. It is the pillar and buttress of truth because the church is where people can come and be loved. It's where people can come and be fed. It's where people can come and receive their healing. It's where people can come and finally have that guilt and shame pulled away from them. That's where they can come and learn about the love of Jesus Christ. And it's where they learn the truth. Not some peddled version of it. Not some watered-down version of it. The truth is where is what is, is taken care of in the church. Real truth. One of my favorite quotes from Mary Lefkowitz, she was from, from Wellesley College, and she said this, The notion that there are many truths might seem well-suited to a diverse society. But when everyone is free to define truth as he or she prefers, as at present, the result is an intellectual and moral shouting match in which the people with the loudest voices are most likely to be heard. Does that sound familiar to anybody right now? Everybody wants to say, no, your truth is different than my truth. I mean, that, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Newsflash, truth by definition is absolute. There cannot be multiple truths. And the truth is, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And that's the, the, the church is the pillar, the upholder of that truth, the buttress of that truth. The church is important, amen? In Matthew four eighteen through 22, we're going to go ahead and, and begin to see as we're, we're reading this, we're seeing that we're supposed to reproduce. We also see that Jesus is our template, is our model in this very thing. In Matthew four eighteen through 22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. When Jesus began his ministry, that's how he started. He began to look for other men to invest into. He began to look for other men to reproduce into. Because it wasn't Jesus' responsibility to evangelize and to share with the entire world. And the truth is, it's not any one of ours individual responsibility to, to share with the entire world either. 
But when we begin to share with others, it's like an exponential effect. And if we have the, the group of people that we invest into, if we have that, that handful, that half dozen or dozen of people that we invest into, then the idea is, is that they'll reproduce as well. And we begin to have an exponential effect. And that's how the whole world is going to be one. Amen. But Jesus went out there and he found them and he says, hey, I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. Follow me. And they left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. Now, Jesus preached to the multitude. He cared about the multitude. He loved the multitude. But he invested in the 12 apostles, his 12 disciples. That's who he invested into. He spent his time teaching. You know, he would give parables to the crowd, but he explained them to his disciples. He invested so they could reproduce and do the same thing. And the reality is, is that each and every one of these men gave up something to follow Jesus. You see, these men are, are fishermen, and it's a family business. And this is probably one of the better paying jobs of the time. You know, a lot of people don't want to serve Jesus because of the sacrifice that it might mean in their lives. But this is, this is a job that they were doing, and they were making good money. They were with their parents, and Jesus said, follow me, and they gave up everything. They laid it all down at the risk of, of, of bringing shame to their family, shame to themselves, they decided that Jesus was worth it, that they would follow him, and they gave up everything. In John 1, 40-42, it says, And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. You know what's interesting? is This is right after he finds those guys. He says, Hey, follow me. And immediately they go and begin to reproduce. And they begin to do the same thing. Jesus didn't go to Simon Peter first. It says Andrew did. So Jesus went up to Andrew and said, hey, follow me. And then Andrew went and found Peter. You see, from the very beginning, even with Jesus, we see that reproduction modeled. We begin to see that Jesus taught them to do the same thing. And this was the plan in action of reproduction. This is what we are trying to accomplish. Amen. Matthew 10.1 says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So what did Jesus do? Jesus found them. He called them. They began to reproduce and, and, and they began to follow him. And he had his twelve disciples. And then he began to invest into them. He began to teach them. And it says that he called them together and he gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. And then after that, he sent them out. He sent them out into the world. I bet they didn't feel ready. I bet they said, we've only been Jesus for the, for, with Jesus for a short time. How could we possibly go out and do the things that he has done? How could we possibly be as effective as he was? I'm positive they didn't feel like they were ready. But the truth is, is that Jesus had already given them authority. And the authority that he had given them didn't depend on their feelings. Your ability to be effective in the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with the, your feelings. If you feel that you're ready, if you're a call, then God is sending you out. And there are men behind you and women behind you that are encouraging you and training you and lifting you up. You can step out and do amazing things for God. And it's tough going out. 
It's tough making that first step. It's difficult to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that. But the truth is, it's worth it. It's worth every sacrifice. It's worth every strain. And the reality is, in this short time in heaven, or short time on earth, we're going to get to heaven one day, and we're going to begin to see all the people that we had an impact on, either directly or indirectly through the people that we've helped to send out and train and lift up. And at that time, you're going to really see that everything that you sacrificed and gave up was incredibly worth it. Amen? In Acts 6, 1-5, through 5, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint came by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. We begin to see here that reproduction too sometimes doesn't come in the form of what we want to do, but sometimes people are appointed to serve as well. And this is an interesting story because this is just the beginning of a, of a great tale of reproduction. But it says that, that these men here, because basically what was happening is the Hellenistic Jews, which were a different sect of the Jews, they, they were being neglected. And they, they weren't getting fed. And, and uh, if I remember right, the Hellenists were, those were the Greek Jews, right? So the Greek Jews were, they were being discriminated against, if you will, from the, from the regular Jews, and they weren't getting fed. So Peter, or Paul said, uh, all right, well, let's go ahead. And uh, the disciples came together and said, all right, let's go ahead and bring them together. Let's make a plan. Let's get something going. And he says, all right, we're going we're gonna to appoint these men to do this. And they were picked out of the crowd. I bet you that they didn't want to be serving tables. They didn't want to be ladling out soup. That wasn't their plan in life. Maybe they had a a bigger vision. But they were appointed and they were called out. And this was the beginning of their training. Because first and foremost, as Christians, we serve. And they began to feed and take care of those widows. But that's not where everything starts, stops for most of these men. This wasn't their legacy, because if we keep going, we see in Acts 6, 8 through 10, we begin to read of, of Stephen again. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's pretty good going when you was just waiting tables a few verses ago, right? And now it says he's doing, full of grace and power, he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's pretty good going for a guy that was just waiting tables not too long ago. A guy who was like, seriously, I got to ladle the soup? And now he's out there and he's making an impact because that's where it started. They invested in him then and he grew and he learned and he became a a mighty man of God. And then we also see Philip. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then we find that a little bit later. It says that on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip 
the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with them. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So now we have Philip who started waiting tables. He says, I'll do God whatever you want me to do. If this is what they want me to do, I'm going to wait tables. And then the next thing you know, it says that he's out there proclaiming Christ to the city. And the crowds with one accord, they're paying attention to what he's saying. He's speaking with power. He's speaking with authority. Unclean spirits are being cast out of those who are possessed. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Philip was out there tearing it up for the kingdom of heaven. And then finally we see that now he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He went from Philip the Nobody to Philip the Soup Ladler to Philip the Evangelist. All because something was being reproduced inside of him. But then it doesn't even stop with him because it says, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. He had four daughters who were active in the kingdom of heaven as well because he reproduced into his children as well. And this is one of those, those scriptures that people think that women don't have any right in the ministry. They're going to have to uh, reconcile this in their head because obviously Philip had some daughters that were operating in the ministry. Amen? But he began to reproduce. The reality is, church, is that we're known by what we reproduce. And Luke 6.44 says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble from a bramble bush. Church, we are going to reproduce whether we like it or not. That's just how the world works. So the question we have to ask is, are we going to reproduce bramble? Are we going to be a bramble bush? Or are we going to be a grapevine and produce fruit for the kingdom of heaven? And I can tell you, as a church, as our culture, who we are, we are a church who, wants, who reproduces. And you're seeing it already right now as we're seeing men who have been raised up, who have come in, had no background in the ministry. They had no, no I mean, they, uh, we have, you know, John came in and, and he only came to church because he was late to a bigger one. He didn't intend on coming back. But I, I called him and said, said, thanks for coming, and began to invest in him. And now he's one of our youth leaders. Same with Hector and Maria back there. They came in and they, 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 they just saw the flyer one day and came in and, and I annoyed them a lot. So they kept coming back. And then they stuck around and now they're in, in leadership as well. They, they're, they're instrumental to what we do here as a church. Joseph's been with us since day one. Hugo is leading our men's meeting. These are men that have been uh, that I'm investing into so that they can be raised up and then they can go out and do the same thing into others. Our goal is to reproduce, to make an impact in this city and to be effective in this city. If we want to accomplish the vision that God has placed for this church, we're going to have to reproduce. We're going to have to grow. We're going to have to have more resources. And we do that by investing into one another, by growing, by reproducing. Amen? Amen. And I encourage you guys. And it starts just by inviting people. You know, if you're not sure what to do, if you're not sure how you can reproduce, how you can invest, <laughs> grab those cards on the table there that just invite people to church. Invite everybody you know. Encourage them to come. Even if they're not saved, it's better if they're not saved. Let's get them saved, amen? amen. And then if you're, if you're not being invested into, get, get around some of these men, Hector and John and Hugo and Joe. 
and get with them. Sit underneath them. Let them teach you. Become friends. Walk alongside one another and begin to sharpen one another. Amen? We have a lot of wisdom in this church. Cliff and Jan have been around for a long time. They've seen a lot of stuff. If you want some, some godly wisdom, begin to sit with them. Look at him. You know what? Matter of fact, that's the only person you should go to is Cliff. Everybody, forget about those other guys. We're all just going to go learn from Cliff. Hallelujah. You know what? We should all be teaching. And if, if you're young, you think, well, who can I be? Who can I be? You're friends, one another. As youth, you guys should be standing together and encouraging and sharpening one another. There's no age limit on this stuff. You can't be too old to be effective and you can't be too young to be effective. The goal is is to rub shoulders with one another, to reproduce, and let's build a legacy for the kingdom of heaven here at Living Hope Family Church. Amen? Amen. Let's stand our feet.